Before we start today's show, I could really use your help with something. As you know, Master Brewers is an association run by some of the hardest working folks in the brewing industry. They all have jobs, but also serve the association as volunteers in lots of different ways. I need your help filling a volunteer role that, in my opinion, is one of the simplest but most important jobs. It's super easy, doesn't take much time at all, but is critical to the value of membership and to this podcast. If you're willing to help me out and give back to this incredible association, please take a minute to go to masterbrewerspodcast.com slash working group to learn more. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. You never, ever want to buy a silo that does not hold at least a full 50,000 pounds of bulk. Of course, there will be venting, but I know someone that forgot to take a vent cap off and actually split his silo down the, down, down the side just because he didn't have a PRV. This week on the show, things to consider before making the transition from bagged to bulk malt. Hi, uh, my name is Tim Roberts, and I'm a territory manager for Country Malt. So, Tim, let's talk about the point at which a brewery should begin to consider a malt silo. What's the smallest volume where that begins to make sense? Well, I think I think the assumptions you need to go on is, and it, of course, it's just an assumption, is that a brewer would typically use about 65 pounds of base malt to make a barrel of beer, right? And so... The way that works out is is really to get full silo truckloads of malt delivered. That's a work about three thousand barrels a year. A year because yet we don't recommend that you keep silo in a malt any any time more than three months at a time. This is probably a rather difficult and unusual time to discuss malt prices, but can you give us a rough idea of the typical expected savings as a brewer transitions from bags to bulk? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the North American barley harvest in 2021 is, is kind of what you're referring to, as well as the situation in Ukraine and 
Russia, which has the barley markets really in a panic and prices through the roof. But, you know, in a normal year, I think you can basically expect on saving about 30 cents a pound. And, and in this year as well, it's just everything is more expensive, just like everything's more expensive in the grocery store. Tim, the savings sound great, but the devil's in the details. What are some of the things brewers need to consider before taking the plunge? Yeah, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the deal is that um, everyone thinks, oh, I'll just get a silo and the project will be done, uh, including the cost. But really, there's quite a bit more to consider. You want to obviously you know, consider the design and the type of your silo. Um, do you want more silos than one so you could switch back and forth? Where are you going to put the silo uh, on your property, right? Because you obviously, there's going to be dust involved. There's going to be conveyance involved. You're going to need to fill that silo. And so you want to obviously make sure that it's in a convenient uh, location. Um, if you haven't done this already, you'll, you know, realistically, as a, as a sort of an efficiency project like this, you would want to look at milling. You would also, I always recommend while you're, you know, doing or going through a project like this, that you look at both totes. And spent grain handling, uh, even if those things are down the down the uh, you know in the future, um, and then the change in cash flow, right? Because you're going to have to buy twenty five thousand dollars or so in malt all at once. So you want to make sure your credit lines are in order and just the you know in the flow of your business that you can handle that kind of expenditure. And we should be careful not to rush into things because bagged malt has its advantages too. What are some of the benefits we're potentially? giving up with the transition to bulk? Well, first of all, you don't have all that capital expenditure, right? I mean, you just call up your, your malt supplier and, and they'll ship you bags tomorrow. Um, and so there's no, uh, you know, you're not looking at the ROI and you don't have all that expense. The other advantages or some of the other advantages are that, you know, your suppliers have A, a quality mill if, uh, if you're having milled and so you won't have to deal with sieve testing and buying a mill and the maintenance of the mill and all that kind of stuff. Also, you know, just because of the you know the size of a typical malt supplier, they have handled your malt very, very conscientiously. So there's very, very little damage, very little dust, um, and also, you know, uh, there's no like I said before, there's really no equipment and, and downtime. And lastly, you have sort of limitless flexibility. So you can buy one type of baseball today and another type of uh, baseball tomorrow. Whereas if you have fifty thousand pounds at a time, then you're sort of uh, more committed to that. Not to mention Almost all bulk con- or almost all bulk malt is purchased on contract, and so you're sort of contracted. You're locked into one product. All right, so you're clearly not a silo salesman. Let's drill down into some of the areas you mentioned earlier, so we can give folks sort of a checklist of considerations. What are some of the questions they should be asking in regards to silo location? Well, you know, and I, you know, full disclosure, I spent most of my career brewing in a in a major city in Philadelphia, and so I always kind of bring this up because I have suffered through indoor silos. But it is a possibility to put silos indoors or outdoors, but I certainly don't re- recommend indoor, uh, if only just because of the dust. And then I think the second largest consideration is, is the fill from the truck to the, the silo, because a typical trucking company is only going to send about thirty feet of hose, so. You either need to buy your own hose, you need to pay hose charges, or be within 30, 30 feet of that fill point. And then also, I mean, every, every conveyance is potentially problematic, and so you want to be as close to your mill and your brew house as possible. Um, you know, that might have already been predetermined in the layout of your brewery, but if you're starting from scratch, those are serious considerations. 
uh, you need to look at the local ordinances, right? Are you, is it a seismic issue? Are you in a, uh, an earthquake zone? So if so, there's considerations you have to make uh, with, with the pad that you pour and all that stuff. And lastly, I always recommend, I mean, you know, this is a big truck that's going to be sitting out in front of your building or beside your building for two hours. And so you always want to be conscious of just being a good neighbor because there's going to be dust and noise involved, you know, inevitably. Are there any design deal breakers in your opinion? I, ha- I have one personal one, and that's you never, ever want to go buy a silo that does not hold at least a full 50,000 pounds of bulk. And a lot of people try to cheat that out because you're buying a little bit less steel or, you know, the, the vessel's just a little bit uh, smaller, so it's just a little bit cheaper. But to me, that's a total deal breaker. Don't stuck yourself, even if you think you're only going to ever take half, uh, half loads at a time. Do you need extra space? Yeah, absolutely, because... You know, in an ideal world, a silo of malt is emptied every single time, and that cuts down on, you know, excessive chaff and dust in, in single batches of, of beer. But you definitely, you know, most people are going to start filling it before they're emptied the full silo, and so you need some extra headspace just to give yourself some wiggle room there. All right. Any other deal breakers? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think safety comes first, as, you know, in a lot of issues in, in manufacturing and specifically in brewing. So you absolutely need a PRV. Uh, of course, there will be venting, but I know someone that forgot to take a vent cap off and actually split his silo down the down, down the side just because he didn't have a PRV. You definitely need a ladder and a cage because you're going to need to get to the top of your silo because visual inspection, uh, you know, safe visual inspection is absolutely uh, essential. And you're also going to need that, that cage and stuff for, for potential maintenance without a doubt. And then, like I said, you know, with the PRV um, uh, deal where you have to have a vent tube. There's no, I mean, you're, you're filling something, and so you have to have air able to escape, and so you need that vent tube without a doubt. Okay, those are the must-haves. How about any nice-to-haves? Well, some nice things to have or, or considerations anyways is that you can use a 45-degree cone, which is plenty for the... Uh, for the malt to slide down, whereas most brewing fermenters have a 60 degree cone because obviously the yeast is a little bit more sticky. Um, you also could have potentially, you know, you could look at this as a, an advertising uh, opportunity. You could put your brewery logo on there. You know, it's a great idea. Um, buying extra silos, like I alluded to earlier, is, is very, I love the idea and that allows you to have one product and the same product in two different silos. So you can empty that every single time, which is nice. Um, and then when you're, when you're, uh, you know, you, you also want to be paying attention when you're, when you're starting on this project, you want to be paying attention for drawings because you're going to be pouring pads. And so you have, you have loads and you have all of these issues and the orientation of the ladder orientation of the logo, for example, you don't, you, you don't want to have it facing your building. You just want to get the, the most bang for your buck there. And then the other, the other sort of big two categories are either a corrugated sort of uh, bolted together silo or a straight walled welded silo. Uh, both work for sure, but you know uh, the pro tip there is to go with the welded silo, even though it's a little bit more expensive. It just keeps out the elements more effectively and is just a sturdier vessel in general. Okay. Um, do you see uh, are, are people ever putting these things on load cells, or is that not very common? Yeah, I, I think it's a very common thing to do. And when I talk to people that are undertaking a project like, like this for the first time, I always recommend that you do not have your silo outside on load cells. And, and the reasons being, first of all, it's outside, so you're going to have to have 
uh, load cells that can handle uh, moisture, which is certainly possible. Uh, just it just adds a little bit of cost. You're also going to have to buy load cells that can hold the full weight of your your delivery and your silo, and so they're going to have to be more robust and therefore more expensive. And then, sort of the biggest to me, the biggest issue is the um, you know the accuracy of the load cells. There's always a plus or minus in any measurement. And so if you start talking about a plus or minus of, you know, 1% on your, on your delivery of 50,000 pounds, that's 500 pounds. And I know when I'm brewing a batch of beer, I'd like to be a little bit more accurate than more or less 500 pounds. And of course, the, the world's best silo doesn't matter if you screw up malt handling. Talk about conveyance considerations. This is not an area to take lightly, right? No, it's not an area to take lightly uh, in terms of malt damage, as you mentioned, and also an expense. I mean, like I said earlier, it's not just the cost of the silo in these projects. You have to move the malt, and conveyance is expensive. You know, the least expensive has sort of been the workhorse, workhorse of craft brewing, which is an auger. Uh, an auger, because of the backslide, really sort of beats up the malt, and so it's not a great option other than the cost. It's cheap. It's sort of inflexible, either, even though it's called a flex auger. Because it can't go vertical, it can only go up to about forty-five degrees. And then the other, you know, this sort of going in the in in the uh, in the direction of nicer kind of equipment. You have the chain disc, which is the next step up, which is also the next step up in cost, but it's much more gentle and, and a very effective way to to move the malt. Um, then you also have uh, you could have bucket elevators and vertical runs. You could have conveyor belts and horizontal runs. But really, I mean, so the big factors here, just to kind of recap, is just you really want to look at malt damage versus expense and versus installation, because obviously you have stuff in your brewery. Uh, certain ones of these are better at going around corners or being tied, you know, hidden and, uh, and not, not, not really being affected by interference by other items in your brewery. I guess, why don't you walk us through some of the common uh, conveyance systems you, you see in breweries. I know I've worked with a, a handful of different ones. Um, uh, why don't you tell us, you know, sort of the pros and cons of each, if you don't mind. No, I don't mind at all. And, you know, I failed to mention one just now. So uh, a big one is pneumatic. And, uh, you know, it's basically it's you're moving your malt in a solid tube uh, with compressed air. And, you know, it, a lot of people do believe in it. Uh, you know, the fear, of course, is always damage. And, you know, if your pressures aren't right and if your elbows aren't right, uh, it offers a, a, a real serious opportunity for malt damage. Um, and, you know, those ex those long, sweet 90s, for example, are very expensive, but absolutely essential in this way. And then the other sort of downside to a pneumatic system is that you have to have all that energy. You need a, a sizable pneumatic blower which, of course, you know, electricity is not getting any cheaper. And so that's sort of, you know, that, that's a downside to it, without a doubt. And then there are solid core augers. I had mentioned a flex auger before. Solid core augers are a little bit less common. Um, they, by, by the name, you could imagine they're not meant to bend. And so they can only go one direction, typically hor uh, horizontally. And so they're, they're sort of uh, not too flexible <laughs> in that regard. They only go one way. Uh, the flex auger, I had sort of mentioned a little bit, uh, you know, it, its advantage is that it's cheap. Then you also have bucket elevators, which is a very, very nice way to move malt, but it's really only sensible to do that uh, vertically. And what it is, is just a long belt with, you know, consecutive buckets or, or, you know, little things that hold a certain amount of malts. And that's very, very gentle because the malt's not really being shaken up or, or rattled around against itself. 
Um, the belt is also very, very simple. It's just a, a you know a, a rubber belt inside of a some kind of conveyance to keep, or, or rather a tube to keep the weather out. But it's also inflexible in that it can only go horizontal. Um, and then you know the, the one thing I always talk about it is you know consider putting this conveyance on the roof because typically yes there are air conditioners up there and maybe heating elements and a few other things for sure but. Typically, the the roof of your building will offer less interference in terms of directing this conveyance than, than all the stuff inside. You know, so it's something to uh, it's something to consider. And of course, then you can use gravity to drop down into your brisk case or, or mash mixer. And I always kind of joke that gravity gravity works every time. Coming up. You know, it's your malt. You paid for this malt and you want it in your bin and as most conscientiously as possible. My trick was always to tell the drivers, hey, I'm not going to sign this delivery slip until 90 minutes are up, so you might as well do it the right way. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Get back to the future with Weyermann Azaria 1924. Made from the oldest German malting barley variety, Azaria shows malty sweet flavor and a soft biscuit-like aroma. This heirloom malt makes amazing traditional Bavarian-style lagers, not to mention modern craft lagers and malt-forward ales. For more info, samples, and orders, please visit go.bsgcraft.com slash contact us. Are you looking to improve yield, quality, and sustainability in your cellar? Alpha Laval has over 60 years of brewing experience, offering centrifuges, dealkalization systems, yeast plants, and complete cold block cellar projects. Designed for the most gentle and efficient treatment of your beer, cider, hard seltzer, or other beverages. Let the leaders in brewing innovation help you meet your greatest production and sustainability goals. Visit alphalaval.us slash MBAA to learn more. Thank you to Brewing with Enzymes by Novazymes. For commercial brewers, enzymes can ease filtration, eliminate diacetyl rest, meet attenuation targets, and optimize your raw materials to save on labor. If you're curious to learn more, head over to brewingwithenzymes.com and get 50% off with your first order using discount code MBAA. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Don't miss the Master Brewers webinar, How Will Climate Change Affect the Brewing Industry, May 31st. District St. Louis meets at Urban Chestnut Midtown, June 2nd. 
Lab on the Cheap, another Master Brewers webinar, June 8th. District Southern California meets June 10th and 11th in Anaheim. District Carolinas meets June 18th at Brewery 85 in Greenville, South Carolina. District Philly's golf outing is June 24th. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins July 22nd. District Mid-Atlantic meets in Richmond, Virginia, July 23rd. District Midwest meets in Columbus, Ohio, July 30th. The 2022 Brewing Summit, that's the combined meeting with Master Brewers and ASBC, is August 14th through the 16th in Rhode Island. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about chain disc. Um, I, I've used a few different forms of that. There's also cable disc, which is pretty similar. But um, why don't you give us uh, a little bit more information about that? Yeah, well, chain disc can sort of basically come in two styles. One's a tubular chain disc system, which is much more common. And then the other is just called chain disc, uh, which is basically a box with little sweepers that are connected by chain. And they work in a similar similar way where there's chain and something that moves the malt connected. And so you have to have a loop, right? So that chain has to come back and then the malt has to drop in at some point and be pushed by either these discs or these sweeps. Um, it can also be connected by cable, but uh, excuse me, that always worries me a little bit because the cable is just more likely to break rather than the chain, which is more robust. And then another major, major advantage, typically, or especially of uh, tubular pipe discs or pipe chain systems, is that they can go 90s, they can go straight up vertical, and they have just a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, direction. But what they're limited in is terms of length, because you know you obviously have drag the whole way, and, and there's a limit to the sense, you know, how, how big a motor you can get to pull it. And then, of course, how, you know, if you're pulling it so hard, you're going to break those chains, you're sort of, you know, <laughs> You're, you're, uh, uh, that's not very effective. Okay, we just talked about conveyance from the silo, but what about conveyance from the truck to the silo? Yeah, that's obviously that's where the you know that's the first point of, of moving malt, and by far the most common way uh, it's done is through a hose and it's pneumatic. And so that the trucks show up and they have their own uh, uh, blower or their own uh, air compressor, and that pressurizes the the uh, the truck itself and that pushes them all through the hose up the side of your silo and into the top the uh, and there's kind of a rule of thumb that you should be doing this at about three to five psi um, just sort of for more gentle handling and you know another kind of pro tip that I always tell everyone is that this should take 90 minutes and you should know that because all of your truck drivers are busy people and they're going to want to leave early and they're going to want to just blow it in there but that's no good for you and so my 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 trick was always to tell the drivers, hey, I'm not going to sign this delivery slip until 90 minutes are up, so you might as well do it the right way. Nice. Yeah, I'm sure there's very few of them that want to be there for 90 minutes. No, well, um, I get it, but it's you know, it's your malt. You've paid for this malt, and you want it in your bin and as most conscientiously as possible. Talk more about that pressure because um, you know I've seen some interesting case studies and heard some stories of, about very different things happening at different pressures. Yeah, and it's, you know, to be honest, it's something I always wanted to do is like, hell, we'll blow it in there at, you know, 10 PSI, which is typically where the trucks have their PRV set because 
the idea is there is that you know you have this this pipe full of malt, and if it's completely full of malt, a lower percentage is actually touching the walls of the of the of the hose of the of the fill pipe of all these things, and so the idea is that it would be less damage. Um, but the rule of thumb, like I say, is about three to five uh, psi. That's what I always learned. And again, uh, most of these trucks have PRV set for ten, and so they really couldn't go any higher than that, even if you wanted to. Okay, um, you know I used to see it a lot in Europe, but I have I've only seen it really only in American brews that were designed by uh, by Europeans, and where the uh, instead of pneumatic, they basically just tilt the truck back and they gravity feed into a, a dump station or whatever it's called, and then some other conveyor takes it away from there. Uh, why is that not more common in the U.S.? And uh, is that simply because we don't have as many of the trucks that are capable of of that? tilting mechanism or is there more to it than that um because that seems like that would be the the probably the best way to do it right yeah it is arguably the best i mean it's super super gentle and it's actually very very quick why it's not more common i don't know that i could speak to but the fact that it is so uncommon means that like you said there are very few trucks to do it and so if you're going to try to schedule that um that's going to become a difficulty not to mention i think you'll run into a lot of maltsters that really just they're just their infrastructure is not set up to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do our conveyance considerations change much after milling? What's different about moving grist around? Well, it is different because you've already cracked it. Um, whereas you know a whole kernel is a little bit more resistant to, to damage. Once you've cracked it, though, you well, first of all, you cracked it to exactly the specifications that you want. You have a certain amount of flour. You have a certain amount of whole husk, and you have some certain amount of material uh, in between. And so because of the loudering process, you do not want to mess that up. And so the really the most important spot to be conscientious in terms of damage or, or grain handling or in the conveyance is between your mill and your mash mixer. And, you know, in between your mill and your mash mixer, for example, could be a grist case uh, and there could be a few items in that chain. But really, once it's cracked, it's the most important time to be uh, conscientious about damage. Yeah. And, and so if you don't have a mill that's situated right on top of the grist case uh, and you are doing some conveyance between the two, um, really think about that as you're doing your sieve test. You know, if, if you're someone who always checks it coming right out of a, a sample port on the mill or whatever, um, you know, be sure you check and see what the difference of it is when it's actually about to drop into the mash mixer. I mean, in reality, <laughs> arguably the most important spot to do a sieve test is right at your mash mixer, although as, essentially, as far as I know, almost no one does it. But the problem is, you know, a mill, a quality mill does things consistently, whereas conveyor does not damage consistently. So it's not something you have a lot of control over. That's right. That's right. Okay. This is one of my favorite parts of brewery design, and I'm pretty sure I've tried it all at some point. Talk about the various devices that can be used for weighing malt or grist, as well as the pros and cons of each. Yeah, well, I I mentioned one earlier, and that's the load cells on the silo outside. And I think a lot of people just, I don't want to say it's lazy thinking, but it's just a lot of people have done it. And so they just think that's kind of the only way to do it. But like I had said, the accuracy is a big concern, not to mention the cost of the load cells because of what they're weighing. What's I, what I'm seeing is a lot more common these days are inline flow scales. And so it's a, you know, you have to calibrate it to your system and, and it's a little programmable controller, but it's basically measuring uh, 
or it's weighing by volume, if that makes sense, which is exactly how it's working. Um, but they're a little costly, and I think there is some feeling among some <laughs> brewers that they are less than 100% accurate. Something you don't really ever see is a, a dumping hopper, which holds, of course, a set volume of malt. So you would have to trust that your malt is, uh, you know, the moisture content would, of course, affect this very much, and the size of the kernels would affect it. So maybe that's not a great option. Uh, the one that I really, really recommend is that you have an interim grist case somewhere, and ideally right above the mash mixer. And so if you're if you're right above the mash mixer, you can mash in very easily. There's no time issue there and so that's an advantage there and it's also a place to weigh it at the very last moment and so it could weigh portions of super sacks as well as portions of your silo of course uh and it could even theoretically weigh portions of bags so i to me that's the best way to do it and then when i'm talking to anyone about weighing right it's um, it's a measurement right it's it's hopefully not done by a spring at this point so at this point you kind of want to consider your degree of automation because uh, you know, do you want a guy there with a slide gate that's going to have to watch, you know, 3,000 pounds of malt tick off and, and stay there and waste his time the whole time or, or potentially wander off and have much too much malt in your mash? And so it, it's, you know, there's some controlling that can do. It's not very, very complicated, of course, but any automation comes with some level of expense. But in a lot of senses, I encourage brewers to kind of go one little extra mile more uh, just really to, to limit problems and to make everyone's life, you know, in the long run, much easier, including your labor costs. Cool. Uh, I'll just comment on that the dumping hopper. I've actually um, seen one of those that worked quite well. That uh, basically it was it had a counterweight on it, and so it would always f- uh, basically fill up, and then it would tip over once that it was full with you know the exact amount of, of whatever it was set to. Ah. Um, and um, yeah, I haven't seen very many of those, but that was on a very old Coonsville mill, and um, it was part of the whole system, uh, the assembly up on the the mill and the and the um, dump scale were up on top of the hopper. It was a really cool setup. That's um, cool. for uh, yeah. Were you, limited, yeah, it was pretty neat. were you limited on the increments? Presumably they weren't one pound increments, for example. Yeah, no, I, I don't remember how much. It, I want to say it held pretty close to like half a bag or something like that. I, so I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure it was some like even, yeah. um, you know, even kilogram amount. But, um, and I don't remember, it's been a lot of years. I don't remember if you could like change the weight on it or not, but it definitely had a counterweight and it would, it would flip over and it also had a little counter. And so like every time it dumped, it would like tick off another. And, and, and that may have been in the, in the unit of measurement rather than just the number of times I can't remember, but, uh, it was a pretty cool setup. Sounds it. The flow scale is pretty nice too, though. So, um, a little more modern. All right. Uh, do you have any, um, do you have any safety tips? Malt handling is an area we where we encounter a lot of potential hazards in the brewery, from falls to breathing malt dust to explosions. What should brewers keep in mind here? Well, maybe I've heard too many, you know, Cymbalta commercials, but I always say, you know, I'm no lawyer, so I'm not going to be able to tell you everything to look out for. Um, and so you really need to understand your local health and safety requirements. I think it's important to understand them. And in these regards, I mean, you have all kinds of mechanical stuff, first of all, and, you know, mechanical stuff could potentially take off fingers or it could jam, you know, a hand in it and all that, all that stuff is fairly straightforward. But in terms of handling malt, the two biggest uh, fears are explosion and the damage to the operator's lungs. You know, it's my understanding, and I don't know this for gospel fact, that 
you know, everyone talks about the dust explosion, but the dust explosion apparently point is really, if you can't see your hand at your arm stretched out, then you really have to be fearful. And if that is happening in your brewery, you are doing something very, very wrong. So I'm not saying don't pay attention to it. And grist hoppers can be fitted with explosion panels and you can build uh, milling rooms, right? That would have explosion going up so it wouldn't damage any operator. But to me, the most important thing to pay attention to when you're milling maybe for the first time or you're moving malt for the first time is dust. Because dust is, it, you know, they say it's even worse than coal dust, which causes black lung because it's actually a finer particle. So really, your operators absolutely 100% should be wearing respirators when they're handling ball. The milling sounds simple, but uh, there are some really good mills out there and some really terrible mills sprinkled all over this country. What do you want to say about that other than you get what you pay for? <laughs> you do. And I said something about malt, malt suppliers just because of you know the size of their business typically and how much malt they're, they're milling they can sort of afford or and or it's essential for them to buy nice mills. And it, it's a huge thing. And why you know, what makes a bad mill is what I might address first, and that it's inconsistent. The rollers aren't necessarily square to each other or parallel to each other. And so you're getting some stuff that's cracked too much and some stuff that's not cracked at all. So you're you're having both loudering problems and extract problems, maybe even starch problems. It's a terrible thing. And then the other quality of a bad mill is that it, it comes out of true, uh, not out of true, but it, it, they, the rollers move. And so you're not getting a consistent crush from one batch to the next. You know, in, in theory, um, we should all be doing sieve tests for every batch of beer, but we understand that that's not really realistic. You should absolutely be doing a sieve test every new silo you get just to take a look at it. And so you can also, because obviously the sizing going into your mill is essential also. If you have, an incom- if you have uh, non-homogeneous sizing going into your mill, you're never going to be able to win. So it's a good sort of check on that, and it's obviously something important to see about your COAs. You want to be looking at them every time. And going back a little bit, yeah, so typically, you know, the workhorse and craft is typically being a two-roller mill, and then you, you, you go up and add another set of rollers, and then you have four, and then six. I think six used to be just sort of assumed to be the province only of macros, but that's changing, I think. I think uh, craft brewers, maybe just by virtue of brewing more uh, beer, those efficiencies uh, are becoming more importantly more important just because now you have a bigger operation, you can afford a nicer mill, and if you can afford a nicer mill, then why not get all you can out of your grain? And so each roller gives you better control, right? And so the more control you have, the better that you can separate the husk from the endosperm uh, well and intact, which is really the name of the game. It is also, I mean, that's the whole that's the whole argument for wet mills is that. If you're hydrating your grist before you're milling it, then the, the husk will just slide off more gently. I would argue all of these things have advantages and disadvantages, of course. I mean, the, the dry roller mills have the advantage of you being able to look at the crush in between the mills and really take a look at it, whereas that's not really realistic in, in, a, in, a, uh, in a wet mill. Also, a wet mill, you know, they're, they're great, and everyone says you can get about another percent efficiency, give or take, out of it, which is everyone likes to get all that efficient, all that sugar out of the grain, of course. But, you know, there, there's different maintenance issues just because it's wet. And not to mention, if something goes bad in a wet mill, it goes really, really bad because now you're not just dealing with a pile of malt on the floor. You're, you're, you're dealing with a pile of mash on the floor or tubes of, or of mash. And, you know, it becomes sticky. It's just a, a bigger mess, you know. Dry milling doesn't grow mold. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you an expert that loves wet mills and I'll tell you an expert that hates wet mills, but you know, to each their own. <laughs>
Yeah. Okay. Uh, we haven't really talked about totes, which can be a happy midpoint between bags and bulk or just used for specialty malts or even as a buffer so you can empty the silo between fills. Tell us more about totes. Yeah, totes. Uh, I talk about totes all the time. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in them, and I think they're sort of maybe undervalued. I think people that haven't dealt with them maybe assume wrongly that they're more complicated than, than you would think. But So what is a tote, right? A tote is basically a, a big bag of grain that holds between 1,100 and 2,200 pounds of malt. Uh, it could be even blended for a specific recipe where they could have crystal malt in there, roasted barley and base malt. That's an added flexibility that a lot of brewers aren't aware of. But typically, they're going to hold, you know, they're going to be a step between a bags and silos, right? And it's going to hold your base malt. And so, really, all you have to do um, is, is put it on so- load cells because you got to know what's in there as opposed to a bag, which is obviously pre measured for you. And then you need to dump it into conveyance, right? And, and you know, the, in the simplest way, you could put a slide gate on the bottom of that thing, and it, it's no problem. You could just do it by hand. So it really can be pretty simple. And as I say, you're just dropping it in, essentially just dropping it into a hole in a pipe, which is your conveyance. So it is really, really simple. And the, and the part, the biggest reason to do this, of course, is cost savings. I mean, it's not as much as silo savings, but, I, you know, just for real hip shot numbers, I would say, I said earlier in the podcast that you're going to save about 30, per, 30 cents a pound from bag to bulk. And totes are somewhere in between. You know, they're probably going to be closer to the bags, but say, call it 10, 10 cents cheaper than your bag malt, which, of course, really starts to add up. But then also you have to look at the idea that you have less waste. I mean, I hated to see all those bags. And yes, totes themselves are bags, but a little bit less, uh, you know, bag material per pound of malt, without a doubt. And then the other reason to have tote stations is that, you know, once you have your full silos of malt and you have your bags of roasted barley, you know, someone's buying silos of roasted barley, but it's never been me. Um, but you could have like your next most common uh, ingredient, like you could have wheat malt. And so you're going to save money on wheat malt, but maybe you don't use so much wheat malt that it makes sense to put another silo outside. I was once part of a $70,000 million in malt handling project that paid for itself in a matter of months, reduced malt usage by 9%, and drastically improved beer quality and sustainability. What's the typical range of ROI you see for small breweries making the jump from bag to bulk? Well, what I always learned, um, and I worked for some level of financial guru in, in a lot of my career, and is people look at ROI as uh, 18 months, right? And so... If you look at, at this big prop, you know, you, you got to look at some numbers here, right? So a silo now, call it give or take, is $30,000. If you want to buy another one, maybe you get two of them for 50, blah, blah, blah. And then you have, you know, the real, real hip shot in, in the U.S. anyways, is a silo is going to cost you, call it 30. If you get two, maybe you get a little bit of break, you get 50. And then you have, let's call it reasonable uh, conveyance costs of, of $25,000. So all of a sudden, let's say you've spent $75,000. Well, if you're saving 30 cents a pound of malt, right, and you're using 65 pounds of malt uh, per barrel in your brewery that does 3,000 barrels a year, well, then your ROI is already at 15 months. So that, that's pretty nice. That's a pretty good deal. And, and what you had talked about, if you start talking about, you know, uh, if you're including a new mill and new commands, you can also get better efficiencies. As And you also said, rightly so, improve the quality of the beer. Another thing we didn't talk about yet is that you can actually clean the malt in your own brewery, which means to subtract the dust from the equation. So 
yes, you are extracting a little bit less extract, but you're getting a cleaner wort because you have less tannins in it, which is, I mean, the dust is loaded with tannins. So it's just, that's a quality consideration. But then going back to the ROI, if you're at 5,000 barrels, you know, that ROI for your, for your bulk malt might only be nine months. And if you're a 10,000 barrel brewery, which is, you know, not, it's never too late to introduce a silo to the, uh, into your brewery, but you, maybe you should have done it before, your ROI would only be five, five months. That was Tim Roberts here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you're considering adding a silo or super sacks to your brewery, check the show notes for a direct link to Tim's district presentation. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. 